Pillar-based marketing is about one main core concept, and that is absolute organic alignment to customer behavior. It's 100 years ahead of, of SEO. SEO is like garbage, honestly. It, it, it just doesn't work anymore. Welcome to the Authentically Successful Show. I'm Carol Schultz, founder and CEO of Vertical Elevation, a talent equity and leadership coaching and advisory firm. We partner with founders and CEOs to create talent-centric organizations, either where they don't currently exist or rebuild companies into talent-centric organizations. We are committed to supporting your vision and values by creating healthy, successful companies, leveraging the best talent, retention, development, and succession strategies. Listen at the end of the show for information about becoming my next guest on one of the most important podcasts for building thriving companies. Here we go. Joining me today is Christopher Day, CEO of Demand Jump, which he co-founded with Sean Schwegman in 2015. He is a serial entrepreneur, having founded nine companies, all in different verticals, with exits to companies including Comcast, Time Warner, Motorola, and National Water and Power. Through these experiences, Christopher discovered that marketing is the least served department in an organization with access to tools that truly help them know exactly how to drive business forward by maximizing qualified traffic that drives leads and converts to revenue. Well, that's sure interesting, Christopher. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you, Carol. Excited to be here. Well, great. I'm, I'm actually really glad to, glad to have you, and I'm really interested in, in learning more about the company. So the vast majority of marketing tools enable marketers to do what they think they should do. None of the tools show a marketer what actions they should take that are best aligned and most relevant to their target market. You're passionate about solving this massive pain point for marketers so they can get bonus and promotions as strategic contributors inside every company. And, and you say that the foundation of all things marketing is content. So tell me a little bit more about that. And, and is this the biggest problem you're solving for your clients? Yes. And, and so here's how we think about it. Uh, so marketers, marketers have basically had to guess I, since the beginning of humankind. I mean, it used to be easier because you could put a billboard up in the middle of town. Right. Well, now this thing called the Internet came along. And so marketers can't see. Nobody can see what's going on outside their four walls. But if you or I click a button, right, with something that they put out there, if we click a button or we buy something from them or we ask for information, well, now they know who we are. Right. And so they can better market to us. So Demand Jump doesn't focus on that. So there's a lot of people out there that are focused on providing a better customer experience or you hear about the 360-degree view of the customer, all those types of things, CDPs, et cetera. Um, those are very important. And there's a lot of companies that are trying to make that whole process better, more efficient, more streamlined. We think that's great. But we also believe that's only 50% of the equation. The hard part in marketing is what's going, out, what's going on out there beyond my four walls before I know who someone is? Because the function of marketing, presumably, is to drive awareness of your product or service or your information so that someone becomes interested and wants to talk to you and buy your widget or your service whatever it might be, product, service, or information. And so what we set out to do was, what if there was a way to understand the internet in terms of actual behavior around any given topic? So a topic could be reading glasses, calculators, towels, customer success software, sales forecasting, CRM. It's anything. 
And so it took us about five years to figure it out. And, and we do have math that was patented. We don't talk about AI a lot on our website or machine learning because we think people tune out when they right. hear that. Yeah. But, but, at, but at the end of the day, marketing is about one thing and that's trying to get people interested in wanting to do business with you. Right. Presumably. Yeah, of course. And so they, what marketers have resorted to, and it's not, it's not their fault. Um, we don't believe they've re resorted to domain expertise. So if you make reading glasses or you make customer success software or, you, or you're in CRM or whatever it is that you're selling, presumably you're a domain expert. And so that's what you resort to. You talk about how great you are and what your product does. And you use all these words and nobody knows what the hell it means. Right, right. And, and so well, what if we just knew, instead of trying to market from the position of domain expertise, what if we marketed from the position of pain that someone's actually trying to solve or desire they're actually trying to fulfill. And so I can go on to some other examples and, and talk more about it macro, but that's super high level. Yeah, well, and, and that actually makes it abundantly clear. Um, can you give me a quick example of a, I mean, you don't have to mention who the customer is, but, you know, where they were and, you know, kind of the, the you know, their, their situation, the tax, the action, the result, right, of that? Yeah, absolutely. So um, let's use a B2C example. Lipstick. It's one of my favorite examples. Lipstick. So the most, our platform knows the most powerful connected question in the world for lipstick is what does lipstick stand for? Really? Not, yes. Not one <laughs> Never manufacturer was answering that question. Now the, the network of words might be a little bit different but they all roll up to this core question and concept of what does lipstick stand for? So our platform knows that's the most important question that the target market's asking. You click a button on that question and it says to answer this question, include these other questions and answers. And so we like to say that's the science. And then you overlay your art or your domain expertise. And when you do that, when you use that approach, your page one rankings will increase exponentially. So then what happens? Well, I'll give you another B2B example real quick before I go to what happens. So let's give a B2B example. Um, there's a customer that's hyper interested in CRM. And in the platform, we, we also automate what we call pillar strategy. So any main right. pillar topic, so CRM would be a pillar topic. Right. I was going to ask you about that. Of, yeah. 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 Then there's a concept of sub pillars and then supporting blogs and how all that ties together. So a critical sub pillar to support CRM is types of CRM. The customer was blind to knowing that types of CRM was very critical in the ecosystem or the network to answer this whole question of CRM. So they filled that gap and bam, they saw the results for page one rankings around CRM skyrocket. That's really, you know, and I was going to ask you about pillar-based marketing. Is that sort of like the lowest common denominator of importance? Yeah, we, we believe- or am I looking so. we, at it backwards? No, I think you're, you're looking at it exactly correct. So let's, let's go to account-based marketing real quick. Use some terms that people are familiar with because nobody's heard of pillar-based marketing yet. Right, well, right, we just, including we me. We just coined the term, right? <laughs> and we're, we're literally writing a book on it right now. We, we just we just signed the, the contract and we're launching the book and it'll be out, um, it'll probably end up being first of the year. Yeah, that's about right. I'm just getting ready to do a book and it's just being published and we started on it in August. Yeah, so, yeah. Yep. So- so the, 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 so account-based marketing. So account-based marketing, the concept is, I know who you are. I know who your name, your title, I know where you work. And right. I think that you should use my widget 
whatever it might be. And so I'm just going to target and attack you from all angles, right? And, and just bombard you and, mm-hmm. until you agree to talk to me. Uh, and hopefully you haven't, you know, put me into your permanent spam box, right? So that, that's people were doing variations of that before account-based marketing became a thing. And then I always like to say investors sometimes come up with these terms, account-based marketing, and they, you know, and then they rah-rah. But there's some great technologies out there, right? Termit is a great technology around account-based marketing. Six Cents, a great technology around account-based marketing, helping you automate and make that all easier and better. Well, that's when you know a specific name of a person and a title and a company. But people, the internet was built for people. Right. And, and people don't want to be sold to. Right. They don't want push marketing. They want pull marketing. So they have their own unique customer journey. And even now, 70 percent of B2B buyers do all the research and evaluation online before they ever talk to your sales team. COVID accelerated all that by another 10 years. Well, so now so how do we so now how do we be successful? How can we be successful as marketers today? It's the organic side. It's the organic alignment, the absolute organic alignment to customer journey has nothing to do with your product and what you're selling. And so that's what pillar-based marketing is. Pillar-based marketing is the umbrella over everything you used to know or thought we all knew about SEO and content. Uh, I was talking to an agency the other day. They said SEO is, is not search engine optimization. It's search experience optimization. That's He's 100% really interesting spot on, distinction. Right? Yeah. And it's a very different mindset. And so, but how do I execute against that? Because all the tools out there around SEO just give you a bunch of keywords. You slam them into a spreadsheet, try to slice them and dice them. You're still trying to figure out what to do. And you still resort to, this is what I think I should do based on Mm -hmm. my domain expertise. Mm -hmm. Well, what if we threw all that in a garbage can? And so we don't, we don't, we don't, we're not going to bring a a supposition to the table. We're going to let math lead us the, the way to figure out based on the internet being a network. It is a massive network of networks. So any given topic, coffee cups, lives within a network, within the network of the internet. And so so pillar-based marketing is about one main core concept, and that is absolute organic alignment to customer behavior. And so that encompasses things around SEO. It's SEO 10.0. It's 100 years ahead of, of SEO. SEO is like garbage. Honestly, it, it, it just doesn't work anymore. It, 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 and it's proven by 90.63% of all web pages and blogs get zero traffic. So, so what if today you knew nine-tenths of your day was going to be an absolute waste of time? I'd be pissed. You'd be pissed? That, right? I, was, that I was pissing away money on somebody doing this work for me. Right. That wasn't, that wasn't helping my business. Yeah. yeah. And if I'm the marketer, and if I'm the doer in the marketing department actually doing the work, that, that would be a real morale Buster, yeah. right? Well, right. So, I mean, nobody wants to be unproductive or not matter. Mm-hmm. And so, well, what if I can wake up every day and know, remove guesswork and know the most important actions to take? These are the most important questions, the most important searches, and exactly what I should write about that my target market is actually thinking. Right. Actually thinking about pain they want to solve or the desires they want to fulfill. If I align to that, I will win almost every time. And every single customer we have sees exponential growth in page one rankings. And I'm talking about, you know, startups will go from zero to two, three, four hundred first page rankings. Wow. Or Fortune 50 companies will, mm-hmm. will go from having three or four hundred to a thousand. And 
So my so my inbound organic traffic skyrockets. So now my so let me start over. My page one rankings exponentially increased. Now what happens? My organic traffic goes up by typically 10x or more. Yep. yep. So then now we have naysayers out there, I'm sure. Well, traffic doesn't mean they're going to be customers. I agree. That's true. But what we see are leads, qualified right. leads go up by four to six. You increase X. your visibility. So, yeah. right. Customers go up by four to six X and decreasing cost per lead. It impacts everything downstream, which I'll get into in a minute if you want to, but then it decreases your cost per lead on all your paid efforts by three to four X. So Christopher, you have taken um, about 19 and a half million in um, uh, institutional capital since you founded the company in 2015. Um, started with your seed round, of course, and then you did an A in April of 18 and I guess an A plus <laughs> in July of 19. What has investors excited about what you're up to? I, I think what has investors excited it is the marketing team is now is now expected to be a part of driving revenue. Oh, yay. And but marketers had no path to get there. We provide that path. We provide the path for marketers to quantifiably prove that they are part of the revenue stream inside any organization. And then we also close that loop between sales and marketing so that they know they can measure and know that these actions are actually producing close to one revenue or close to one customers. In your experience, since, since, uh, since founding the company and, and we'll go back to like, what had you had this epiphany, right? But since founding the company, and this may be part of what had you found it. So, so please, uh, I'd like you to elaborate on that. Have you experienced that marketing is looked at by, you know, sales, technical, whatever other departments, you know, if you look at the CXO level, right? That they're looked at as a lower level, not an equal partner. All right, Carol, you just gave me chills. Absolutely. They absolutely have been. And I wish I could remember so I could cite the source. I just read literally like two weeks ago that the, the, in the future, it's predicted that more CEOs will come from the marketing team than any other department. So awesome. That's really that is, interesting. That is an amazing transformation. And I think that, that there's a lot of merit in that mm -hmm. because the world has become so crowded, so complex. The internet, the, 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 the growth in data is, uh, I can't remember the, the, the exact word that they use, but it's, it's uh, hex, it's not even hexabytes. It, it, the, the bottom line is data is, is expected to triple again in complexity and size in the next three years. There's no way for people to keep up with that. The world's become so crowded in the physical space and the virtual space that you have to figure out a way to be a part of people's natural lives. Right. That's so interesting. So, so how did you come upon this epiphany? <laughs> <laughs> so a little bit by accident. We, we didn't really set out to solve this specific issue. We were, we were actually trying to solve some more general compentel-oriented um, issues and, and focused on could we isolate websites that matter? So let's take programmatic, for example. Could we isolate, you know, if I want to run ads, because DMPs and DSPs and, and audience data, I would just say nicely, is extremely inefficient and flawed. 
Um, and so we were trying to figure out, can we, if you want to sell, you know, tape measures or calculators or whatever it is, or software, any kind of software, how could I figure out what sites I should place my ads on? And we have solved that. It's a part of the same math. But what we, and we were doing some comp and tail stuff, et cetera. But we literally discovered it by accident. One of our chief scientists said, hey, what if we applied this to content? Do we think, would it work? I'm like, let's try it. And so I just got chills again. So he went away for, it was roughly six months or so, came back and said, I, I think this might be interesting. Let's test it. So we discovered in Demand Jump over f the first four years, roughly, we had written 400 blogs. And only three of them had any impact on the business. Three out of 400. And we're in, the, we're in this business of space of trying to understand data and make, right, make good decisions, right? So we started, we started testing our own, right, rewrote some content to see what would happen based on the math. And bam, shot the first page and some of it number one. And I think some of it might be still number one today. And we haven't touched this in two years. Some of these first pieces of content we tested. Like what is a good CAC? I think was one of the first ones we did. Um, and so then we went to some customers and said, we want to now try this in some different verticals and see if this works. Same thing happened. So, so we're like, we, we, we just caught lightning in a bottle and we've got to productize this. So it, it took us some time to productize it and we just launched it and started taking it to market the, the V1.0 of it, um, January of last year. How did you and Sean get together? So I met Sean, I used to have an investment banking firm uh, for about five years and um, one of their board members, Sean was the CEO of a company trying to turn it around and help save it. One of the board members said, hey, you guys should meet. We met for breakfast um, that somebody else recommended we get together. And, and I, had, I had been thinking about these marketing pain points for, I don't know, at that point, probably 15 years. And I always wanted to try to solve that, but I didn't really know how. And I knew right. I needed to go find right. people who were smarter than me to try to solve it. And I'm like, he was a CMO to Overstock from $3 million to $800 million. And I'm like, this is the guy I would go solve that with if I ever did it. Interesting. So you got a, you 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 uh, graduated from Purdue in '92. That's how I met. Um, and started your career as a project manager. Um, at, four years later, you started your yep. first company <laughs> at, at what a whopping age of about 26. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think it was 26. So, and technically, it was the second. Yeah. If we count the yeah. real first one, I had a painting company in college. I had fourteen painters in college. That's how I paid my way through school. Okay. But, uh, but yeah, started a um, started a company called Starcom Broadband, and um, and really, what I ultimately wanted to do is I wanted to have a commercial development business. Right. Yeah. Right. But I was twenty six and I had negative net worth. I had no cash. Right. Um, and I, I grew up poor on a farm in the middle of nowhere, et cetera. And so, um. One of the people I did that painting company with heard I was back in town. I'd moved to Atlanta right out of college and I, and I came back to Indy. Heard I was back in town. He's like, hey, I've been trying to do this thing and, and I think there's something there, but can't quite figure it out. You want to try to do something? So short story is we started Starcom Broadband doing mainly cable internet. Did a little bit of telephony, uh, Indiana, mm -hmm. Oklahoma, Michigan. Um, and so, yeah, we, we launched that and um, we ended up exiting to, uh, uh, sold most of the company to Comcast or some assets we sold mm -hmm. to Time Warner. But it couldn't have. It was a great. It was a great run. So yeah. So walk me through. You know the next uh, the next number of years and uh, as a serial entrepreneur, all the other companies that you co-founded and ran and exited. And really, what I'm interested in hearing about, and, and I believe my audience is interested in hearing about, is the mistakes you made starting with Starcom. Right. You know what you 
what you learned and said, okay, <laughs> this, boy, this really didn't work for me. And let me fix that in the next one. And then of course the next one, you're going to make other mistakes. Walk me through that process. Cause that's what I'm really interested in hearing about. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, all right. So in, in Starcom, um, so obviously, so I, my original back, my major in college was in the school of technology, but, but this, the specificity was around more construction management. And, and when I lived in Atlanta, we had tried to spool up a software company, but it, it never really went. And we never actually really started because of various reasons. But um, so I, I think the biggest thing is uh, sit on one toilet is a saying that I heard once. Say that again? It, sit on, you can only sit on one you toilet. You can only sit on one toilet, right. As in there's an ask for every seat. <laughs> right? right. It, it, so like. And the concept is like when you when you start a company to solve a problem, well, then you discover there's ten problems. Mm. The, well, gosh, I can solve all those, and it seems like you can, but you can't solve the first one, right? Get product market fit with it. Solve the first one, get traction, right, and then you can layer in the second thing, and then the third thing, and the fourth thing. Um, the the other thing is get people, and I've always had this thought process, but get people who are smarter than you. So I'll give you an example of Starcom. We fired up the first three broadband systems um, before we actually had the the first couple of experts, engineers out of Comcast and Time Warner that we, we hired from um, before we had them fully on board. Mm-hmm. So we're kind of meeting at night, you know, having coffee or whatever. And the first three cable systems, uh, uh, I guess it really were broadband systems, I screwed them up. I, I mispriced them. And so out of the gate, um, you know, I had a miss of almost $200,000. So, and, and we had spent 18 months preparing for the launch, right? Um, another thing that happened with that is a friend introduced me to a potential investor and I didn't do enough diligence on who I was going to be meeting with. And I discovered about five minutes into the meeting, oh my gosh, this guy's actually an investor and one of my biggest competitors. <laughs> yeah. So I politely pulled my materials back across the table and I said, it's great to meet you. And the guy was literally yelling at me as I was walking out the door, like, you're gonna, you don't know anything about this business, you suck. And right. And that happened literally uh the first the first day that we started the company was when that meeting happened. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that night, fetal position, what have I done? I don't know anything about this industry, et cetera. I knew the people to go get contracts with, right? I knew the real estate people. And so I could go get deals, right? Um, next morning I woke up and I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna go take all their customers. And so that's what I did. It took two years. I took every single one of them by providing better right. service, right? And our big pitch in Starcom was we can turn on and turn off your cable remotely. Um, and so multifamily people loved it because if the rent check didn't show up, they would just say, hey, apartment 212 didn't pay. Click. Rent check would show up in three Yes, hours. that's awesome. Yep. And then we got into... Uh, we struck a deal with Ameritech, and I think it was UUNet was involved. But I think we were one of the first companies to tariff dark fiber and like offer 1.5 meg symmetrical mm-hmm. internet speeds um, back in 2000 timeframe, which was really sexy back then, which is a joke today. But uh, anyway, so those are a couple of things with Starcom. Uh, we so we sold that, and my partner and I didn't know what we were going to do next, and uh, we received a phone call from one of our old customers, and he said, "Hey, I, I've got these utility problems. I need you to come solve." Uh, and we were like, we just got out of broadband. We we couldn't possibly be, you know, bothered by utilities. <laughs> Long story short, much better business model than broadband because people would actually pay for the utility systems up front. Um, and then we had a recurring revenue stream with the billing software we built. Um, 
So the lesson learned there is, um, is, is relationships and do what you say you're going to do. Don't overextend yourself. And if you do what you say you're going to do, people will depend on you, rely on you and believe you and trust you. And they'll think you can do anything. Mm-hmm. So we literally started Viastar Energy. Um, because one of our old customers that we did broadband with said he had utility problems and wanted us to help him fix them. You know, yeah, it's really interesting because, you know, when you say that, what I'm hearing is, you know, I refer to that as having integrity. Yeah. <laughs> that, that all, yeah. Uh, you know, integrity for me is your word. That's right. So if you say, if you say something, do what you say. And, you know, people can always count on you. That's right. There's more authenticity sometimes in saying no. Yeah. Right. No is not I necessarily no. a bad thing. Yeah, right. That's okay. Absolutely okay. And but I think you know I heard somebody recently. Um, I was in a uh, an executive roundtable, and and one of the other people who were there happened to mention that you know he wants to be in a place where he can you know turn away from you know turn away business. And I thought I've been turning away business for years because you know why do you know why does anybody need that agita? That's exactly right. So you know you know. It's just not worth it. It's, for me, it's not worth any, it's not worth the money really. I, I've, and I've, I've taken on projects in the past before I realized this was going to happen. Right. And then I'm like, I'll never work with that person again. Never, never. That's right. Sometimes people, yeah. Sometimes people in companies like to take advantage of other people. Right. And if they know you're young, yep. especially they're like, well, and, and they know that their logo is really critical or something to your business. They want to take advantage of you. Well, that's not yep. good for your business. So what kind of mistakes did you make at Via Star? Or had you learned everything by then? <laughs> Four years <laughs> no, after I your first start. Today. <laughs> I, I think if you're not making a few mistakes here and there, I, you're not trying hard enough, right? Yeah. Um, I, I learned yeah. every single day. I still make mm-hmm. mistakes. Um, so let's see. At, at Via Star, um, we, we thought that we could um, by ourselves spec out all of the information required and needed what they used to call it back in the day when you would when you would produce a document to to build a piece of software so we wanted to build a piece of billing software application development is that what you're talking about yeah there's like a huge Mm -hmm. document right you can't possibly think of all the use cases and all the needs correct right and so basically we we thought that project was going to cost us x dollars and ended up costing us like four times that. And it still wasn't really where we wanted it by the time we sold. Um, now, software development is much different today. And, and we didn't have the tools and the processes back then, you know, as an industry with how you would develop today. So what, what I think is important today and the mistake we made back then is we didn't have that technical expertise in-house, none of it. And th- th- this is not, all companies aren't created equal, right? So it depends what you're building, et cetera. But to the, Maybe don't take this in the absolute in every situation, but have technical expertise on your team, at, at least at some level, um, to to avoid catastrophes. Right? I used to have a I used to have a, a, a franchise business, and the, the franchisor wanted to go out and build. Uh, I can't remember what the heck it was. It, uh, let's just pretend it was a CRM. It was something else. I think you were building. And like, you don't want to do that. You, 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 don't, you don't want to build your own custom, uh, very well, I think expensive. It was a, a custom POS, yeah. custom POS. Like that is going to be very expensive and it's never going to work. 
and you're going to throw it in the trash can in four years. That's exactly what happened. So, so like, so staying your swim lane, I guess, is the, I guess, is the the, the key lesson learned in, in Viastar, right? Uh, we had our skill sets and our expertise, and we tried to get outside of that, um, and it didn't work. Tell me a little bit about Navadar. Yep, Navadar. So our whole thesis was in the middle quarter of the country, there are a lot of awesome tech companies that don't get the attention of the tech bankers. All the tech bankers sit in New York yeah, and San right. Francisco, period, full stop. And the, the the folks out here in the middle quarter are more generalists. And that's not a bad thing. So if investment bankers are listening to this in the, general, in the middle quarter, that's I'm not saying it's, a, it's not a bad thing at all. But there's a different way that you position and sell a SaaS company with forward-looking you know, multiples, forward-looking revenue, ARR, having a strong foundation, all the fundamentals, et cetera. And so, um, so that's what we did. It was awesome. We did mostly domestic work, a little bit across border, um, did a little bit of buy side, mostly sell side and did a couple, uh, capital raises as well. And it was a blast. Um, I loved it, but I was used to being the person on the other side of the table and that's why I ended up cashing out. As an entrepreneur, Christopher, um, can you look at all your past, um, organizations and point to one or two or three things that as a co-founder and leader, some of your biggest lessons. Yep. So listening, if you're ever in a room that you're the smartest person in the room, you are in trouble. So I always try to find people who are smarter than me. Right. As you said. And and Mm -hmm. I love that. So I, I think, um, it's never as bad as you think it is. There's always yeah, tomorrow. It's great. Um, and, and that kind of leads into like perseverance, like mm-hmm. true perseverance, right? You know, wealth isn't built in a day. Right? So we all see these articles like, you know, Insta, uh, well, who was it? Was it Instagram? Uh, you know, they sold over a weekend conversation on a napkin. Yeah, right. And I'm trying to remember. <laughs> it's never yeah, true. Of course. It's yeah. never true. And I think there were like 30 people roughly that were involved in Instagram in the early days. I, for the life of me, I can't remember what Instagram did in their initial onset. Instagram was not Instagram right. when they started. Right. They stumbled into, you know, what they became, but they almost went under. Right. Amazon. We almost didn't have Amazon. If they hadn't raised their funding close enough, if they had raised their funding farther away from the dot mm-hmm. bomb, we never would have mm-hmm. Amazon. Um, I mean, Google. Right, they almost couldn't raise their first hundred thousand dollars. Everybody's like, "We already have these things called search engines. Right. Why right. do we need another one? We right. have Alta Vista. Right. What else right. do we right. need?" Right. So, um, the other thing, back to the listening piece, um, challenge your opinions and your thoughts. Talk to lots mm-hmm. of people, and 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 then I, and this is kind of juxtaposed to what I just said. But then, don't be afraid to not listen to the naysayers. I still have, I'm, I'm not the most successful person in the world, but I've had a little bit of success, right? Nine, nine companies, different verticals, solving some interesting mm-hmm. problems, had some great exits to awesome companies. Um, people still tell me I don't know what the hell I'm talking about sometimes, <laughs> <laughs> right? So, and, and maybe on that subject matter, mm-hmm. I didn't. Um, but if you don't push the envelope, right? right? It, like Elon Musk, what's he doing? He's always pushing the envelope. Even he makes mistakes. Right. But if you don't push the envelope, then you can't then you can't solve something interesting and novel in a different way. 
Yeah, that's really interesting. So, so what is, you know, what would you say now, um, you know, seven years later, right? Um, are, is a competitor, you know, the competitive nature of your business now versus when you started the company in 2015? Yeah. So one thing that's getting hot right now is, uh, is auto content generation. And I would just, uh, um, so auto content generation right now, from what we see, um, is no different than the old school SEO tools. And what I mean by that is the auto content generation is being built on the internet mm -hmm. at large. That is exactly the wrong way to build auto content generation. The internet at large doesn't matter when I'm selling calculators. All, when I'm trying to sell calculators, all that matters is the most relevant, connected, and important content or, that actually gets consumed. Mm -hmm. And that's what our platform knows. And so we're training all the content generation off the stuff that actually gets seen and read and consumed. Um, so that's a big shift. Um, there's a lot of people who talk about a lot of things that they don't do. And so we see people starting to talk about pillar pages or pillar strategies, but the technology at the core is based off of just independent keywords. And you, the concept of pillar, by definition, is network-based. And so you can only deploy a successful pillar strategy if you understand the network around that hmm. topic. It will never work based on keywords. So, but the average person doesn't know that. But but those, I'd say those are two big shifts, the concept of, of auto content generation and the concept of pillar. Um, you know, versus individual keywords. Um, do you have any direct competitors at this stage? Well, yeah, we, I mean, we always try to be, be honest and say, you always have direct competitors. So, um, yes, we have, we have direct competitors, people, you may name them. If you want, I don't care. <laughs> um, I'll just say this, I any tool that's SEO oriented, we would consider a competitor. Um, yeah. Any I'll tool that's that. SEO oriented. So, yeah. Yep. And then our platform also does um, attribution. So, so we've modeled all the data together for, you know, Salesforce, Eloqua, HubSpot, uh, Sugar CRM, mm -hmm. um, Zendesk, mm -hmm. et cetera. And so we're able to, and we have our own set of tags that our customers can deploy um, that deliver a lot of individual data points uh, around any activity that happens. The, um, so, so we're able to measure, are these actions actually producing close on revenue and customers not? So we do have some competitors in the attribution space. So, so if someone says they do attribution, they could be a competitor. Um, and then... So I'd say those are the two main buckets. None of those com companies combine all of that together. Which I think yeah, is well, and, and that is, I, I would agree. And that's what you're doing, yeah? Yeah, so yeah. I think that's, so it, it sounds like, it, and it's not dissimilar to, you know, my own business, but it sounds like, you know, you are disrupting an industry, which ain't easy. Yes, we, <laughs> you're, you're, you're correct. I'll tell you a mistake that we made at Demand Jump. Um, so, so we launched a free trial. Well, you can't launch a free trial with disruptive technology. By definition, it doesn't work. 
And so we didn't realize that until we brought in a new product leader who's incredible uh, and took it. We went through a major exercise. He came in in, in Q3 last year, we went through a major exercise, two day offsite, just, just tore everything mm-hmm. apart, just tore it down and said, are we thinking about this correctly? And the result was, oh shit, no, right. we're not. We need to have a freemium product uh. and let people just go explore, yes. discover, research, right? Just mm-hmm. learn to their heart's content. What is something that we can give them that there's no limit on? And so, but it's not just simple to say, okay, well, we're going to shut our free trial off and now go to freemium. It doesn't work that way. It's a whole different, the, the, the menu structure is different to enable that, the, the, the back end, all that stuff, everything has to change. And so we're literally in final QA as we speak, getting ready to launch freemium here in, in 30 days. Um, yeah. So that was a big learning, by the way. No, I, I love that. <laughs> I love that. And, you know, I, I mean, myself, I, in, in a number of the tools that I use, I've, you know, I started with their freemium models because I wanted to yep. dig into it and see, is this really going to solve my problems? Absolutely. That's absolutely right. And, and, you know, then you get to a point of, yeah, it's going to solve my problems. And my problems are more than just the freemium model, <laughs> right? So now I need to pay for it. But, right. but by then I know it works for me. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and that, I think that's, I think that's our so, freemium model is all about that is, is learn. Yep. Yeah. And yep, then how yep, you want to yep. fix it? Well, that's behind the paywall. So, so you've got about 50 employees now. Uh, tell me a little bit about your employee journey uh, over the last seven years. Like when you started hiring, the hiring mistakes that you made, why you made those mistakes and the kind of challenges you've encountered. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think one thing that's really easy in early stages of companies is to hire big titles mm-hmm. too fast yeah, and to hire big company people too fast. So just because someone is a rock star at, you know, insert billion dollar yep. company.com yep. doesn't mean they're going to be successful in a startup. Well, and they're more, they're more likely not going to be they're more likely. Not that, that's a whole separate yeah. conversation we could have. Exactly. Yeah. And, it's just different. It's just two different things, right? Well, you don't have infrastructure yeah. in a small company that a large company has, you know, and that, that I think is one of the, one of the biggest challenges. And, you know, I, I use infrastructure as a very broad term, right? Yep. Meaning you got to do stuff yourself. You may not have an EA, you know, you, you got to do your own, you know, build your own PowerPoint, you know, when, you know, maybe at the larger company, you've got somebody to help you along with this. And I mean, there's many, 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 many things. That you're doing yourself in a startup. You might be expected right. to that's wash right. the coffee cups and take the trash that's out. Right. You know, on your way out the door. Yep. 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 So, so that's that's one thing I think is that, that, that naturally happens. Um, and then, you, you know, sometimes it's it's a little difficult to break old habits, but you know, still buying off a little mm-hmm. bit more than you can chew, right? With with you know, gauging the funding you have. I always like to say in a model, in your initial model, and I I still think this way today. Whatever you think your model is. From a growth standpoint, a cost standpoint, cut your growth in half and double your expenses, and see if you still want to do it. And now that's a drastic statement, right? And I don't, I don't mm-hmm. necessarily mean it like right. word for word, but but the concept is we we think we know how it's going to go, but there's so many things in those early years that can go wrong and, and derail you. Um, that you know, every startup has the old hockey stick, you know revenue target in 24 months and it just hardly ever happens is another right one. so what else uh from a standpoint of you know mishires or gosh you know we 
didn't even think about this. This person turned over, that person turned over, like why those types of things happen. And, and you know, how much turnover have you even experienced? If any. So we still, our first employee is, is still with Fantastic. us today and he's been promoted awesome. like four times. Um, so we have some of our initial employees are still with us and some that aren't. So, and there are everybody that's been at demand jump has been amazing. We've had people go start their own companies. I love it. And yeah. I supported them mm -hmm. and we became mm -hmm. a customer mm -hmm. of theirs. Right. So, so some people left for, I think, great reasons, right? Like I, I, if you want to go start your own company, I'm, I'll, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm all for it. Right. How can we help? I think it just helps the whole ecosystem. Um, you know, we, we, I think it was last year, there's a, an independent uh, group called powder keg that, that people rank uh, employers and we were ranked number one, best leadership in, um, I can't remember if it was Indiana or in the country. Um, but anyways, I love the third party, you know, non-paid. I love some of these awards out there you pay for, right? I, we've never, we don't pay for awards here. <laughs> you earn them, right? No participation. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, so, yeah. So, um, so I always love that when third parties gauge based off of employee feed, you know, direct feedback or surveys, um, how they view, uh, you know, the management team and leadership or me specifically. So who is your ideal client and what makes them ideal? And, and, and are they finding you based because obviously you're using your own platform for your own business, right? Yeah. yeah. Yep. So our, our ideal, we call right. them customers um, versus clients, but our ideal customer, and I'll just kind of, I'll, I'll start high level and I'll keep bringing it backwards. So high level, our ideal customer is anyone that wants to rank on page one mm -hmm, for their mm -hmm. product or service. Um, then the second thing is someone who believes and is obsessed that organic and content is the first step towards building a solid, defendable foundation for all of their mm -hmm. marketing efforts downstream. And then we pull it back farther, and then we start to look at B2B um, as, a, as a space, and then we specifically look at B2B SaaS and B2B manufacturing. And we look at B2B SaaS because they do write a lot of content and believe that content is important. And most of them are now realizing that 90.63% of their content is garbage. Not because they're not smart. It's just because it's not aligned to the customer journey. Um, and then B2, B2B manufacturing, they're waking up and realizing we have these wonderful channels in place. We have to make sure that the end customer knows who we are and understands right, how we're solving their pain. And so, so closing that, it's a triangle right, between the channel, the end mm -hmm. customer, and the manufacturer. Um, and then we further break that at, that down into where from an outbound focus, we are more hyper-focused on series A, B, and C of B2B SaaS. Um, and then we, so that's 50% of our business, that, that category. 25% of our business are agencies that serve B2B uh. SaaS or B2B manufacturing. So we love agencies and we want every agency on this planet to be on our platform. Um, and I'll talk more about that in a minute. And then the last 25% we call opportunistic, which is B2C and other types of businesses. Um, a lot of B2C companies believe that their brand is the most important thing in the world. That's a component, but it's definitely not the most important. People are not loyal anymore to brands. <laughs> um, and some of them haven't, a lot of them haven't realized that yet. 
I'm not saying brand is, should be ignored. I'm not saying that, but, but I'm saying it's not the most important thing. Um, and then if I could go just a little deeper real quick on ICP. So um, we are building a center of excellence. It's called, and we're calling it Demand Jump University. Um, but it is an education center that's all around pillar-based marketing. And so it's the first of its kind in the world, we believe. Um, and we are, we're getting ready to take this entire concept of pillar-based marketing to the, to the U.S. and, and ultimately to the globe. We already have customers overseas in, in, in Australia and in Europe and Canada. Um, and so we, we want to open up this pillar-based marketing concept and how to take action on it and, and open source it in essence. Um, so we're spending a lot of time on the center of excellence and that will go public. The V1 of it will go public here probably in the next 60, 90 days. Um, we already have agencies and customers testing it out as we speak from a learning standpoint. And then the agencies, of course, will get certified. And our ultimate goal is as, a, as, as direct customers come in, um, we want to be able to push business to them in the form of content creation, content strategy, content execution, content writing, et cetera. We want to be able to push the, the agency partners a lot of business. And so, and then we're also signing up agencies directly that want to get all of their customers on it, right? Because they want to be able to prove month in, month out that, hey, the stuff we're doing, it's actually driving quantifiable results. So that's, that's our high level ICP. How would you define your company culture? Have you ever read the book called Startup Nation? You know, I haven't. I'm familiar with it, but I've not read it. Yeah. It's the, it's the culture in Israel, mm -hmm. right? And I think a yes. part of that is, be, you know, because everybody's required to go into the that, military, right. et cetera, but they have this culture of mm -hmm. challenge, yeah. right? Ask questions, mm -hmm. challenge, right? And, and if you go back to any, many catastrophes in, in the history of humans, most of the catastrophes resulted out of a lack of communication. And maybe somebody knew something was going wrong, but they were afraid to get fired. Yeah. They were afraid. That's yeah, our, our culture about that. is startup yeah. nation. It is challenge, ask questions, you know, so transparency, bold and purposeful, um, you know, think customer first, see things differently, do the right thing and do it always right. Serve each other. These are core tenets and, and words that we really live by. And so I expect an intern, to come tell me if something's going wrong. I also expect that in turn to approach the person too, right? And so we encourage 360 degree Very conversations. Good. And so now if it comes to me, I want you to have a solution. Don't come to me with a problem. If you come to me with a problem, also have a solution in mind. And you, and you also should have already talked to the individuals that would be involved in helping right. make something better. Um, that way you don't have bureaucracy, you don't have red tape, mm -hmm. right? It's, it's open door. Yeah. My term for that is called a culture of feedback. Yeah. Right. Well, I'm, I'm not sure that's so fancy. It's just a really short way of describing it, you know? Yeah. It's, that's what we expect, right. right? And that's how we become great. The book, Good to Great, goes directly into this, this whole question. And when he went, uh, what was the gentleman's name that went and did all the research? And he, he got done looking at all the, the greatest performing companies of all time, right? They were publicly traded companies. And he couldn't figure out anything mathematically or, mm -hmm. or, or you know, KPI-wise mm -hmm. that led to why these tractor supply company, Walgreens, they were at the time, greatest company, performing yeah. companies all the time. I love the, my favorite yeah, tractor, tractor supply, supply company. Yeah. Right? And the reason he deduced it to at the end of the book was the CEO didn't have an ego. 
I think there's a lot of power in that. I know it sounds very simplistic, but there's a lot of power in that statement. Authenticity. And authenticity. Yeah. Yeah. That's really, really, I mean, these are the the tenants that I, you know, teach and talk about and it's so important. And, you know, the more people learn these stories and learn, you know, learn this, I think the more that then, um, more successful companies there will be. And that also translates down to, and again, in a simplistic way, you know, how do you retain your employees? <laughs> right. That's Serve right. them. Um, you know, servant leader has gotten to be this, you know, big giant buzzword now and it's fine, but um, it, it's, you know, ultimately you've described that in a way that, yeah, you have to listen to your people. Communication is key. Right. I mean, I can't, I can't emphasize it enough, the importance of communication, effective communication. Okay. Let me qualify that. Um, so where do you see, or do you see, and if so, uh, where do you see yourself investing in resources over the next year? What's that look like for you? Yep. So go to market and product, uh, be the heaviest areas of Mm -hmm. of investment, right? So obviously that means Mm -hmm. sales, obviously it means Mm -hmm. marketing and then, and then product Mm -hmm. or engineering Mm -hmm. team. Um, right, is lean, and we we need we definitely need more engineers yeah. and and more data. You, you and everybody else needs and more engineers. Success follows all that, <laughs> <laughs> right? You know, it, I I think we seem to have had a a a a. I, I feel like it's not been an or it doesn't feel insurmountable, and I think it goes to if your technology is solving an interesting problem, it seems to be easier to. Re- recruit engineers because they want to work on interesting, complex problems. Yeah. You know, that's so great. I, I interviewed somebody from my podcast who is a former client of mine back in like 2012, 2013, 2014. I worked with them for quite some time. And I think I started working with them. I, I can't even remember if they'd gotten their A round at, when I started doing work for them. But, um, you know, I'll, I'll never forget uh, the CTO, the co-founder CTO had said to me one day, we were having a conversation that when we were just, we were just talking about engineers and he says, you know, I want to hire engineers who want to do great work. You know, if all they're interested in is money, they're probably not going to, they're not going to be a fit because we're a startup. We can't afford to pay somebody what Google can. Can't. That's, that's absolutely right. And, and some of these numbers that are getting paid. I'm not sure if it's actually sustainable. And I worry what might happen a year or two from now, if there's a correction, if people have changed their lifestyles. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. So what's your day-to-day look like as a leader? What do you spend your time doing? I spend my time um, talking with customers and talking with the team. Um, you know, I think the CEO's job is to set vision, um, get the mm-hmm, right butts in mm-hmm. the right seats, and keep cash in mm-hmm. the bank. Those are the three biggest things. And so, you know, of course, I'll go through spurts when we're doing capital raising where I'll, I'll be heavily involved in that. Um, but I, I really spend most of my time with customers and the team, um, trying to understand what's shifting in the market and what do we need to be doing better and more efficiently. So if somebody listening to this is thinking, oh, this sounds like this company's pretty slick, <laughs> I'd be interested in maybe working for them or, you know, uh, what, what do they do? So, uh, careers at demandjump.com careers at demandjump.com. Um, on demandjump.com, there's also a career page um, that they can see what positions are are open and available. Um, they can check us out on LinkedIn. They can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, I don't know my my actual uh, URL, but it, Christopher Day yep. Demand Jump, yep, they'll will. find me. Um, 
yeah. So those are several ways they can they can reach out. Can I add two more mistakes? You may. Real quick. Yes. Um, well, one mistake and one one thought. So the one thought is, so I'll, I've tried to run every company from one piece of paper, and so there's a concept out there um, where the upper right hand corner is kind of uh, upper left hand corner is your BHAG, big hairy audacious goal, <laughs> and then your vision, your mission, kind of your next yeah. five year plan the next year plan and then what you're going to do this quarter. It's really a great way to force yourself to deduce everything down to the most critical steps we've got to do today and tomorrow to get to this year and the following years. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The, the next thing I want to mention is uh, mistakes wise, starting a company, please don't be afraid to have what is perceived to be a hard discussion, but it's actually a really easy discussion when everybody's all excited and going to start a company. But that is get your agreements in place and deal with the uh, sections around like buy, buy, sell, or make each other vest over a number of years. There are many, many stories out there where somebody flies the coop or never shows up for work or whatever, uh, or wants to go do something different after a year or two. You know, when you start a company, those first three to five years, it's not just a first year or two, the first three to five years sometimes even longer, are brutal. And so you want to you make it objective to deal with situations where somebody's leaving and if you want to physically buy them out or they don't have shares mm -hmm. invested, then it's just a much easier situation to deal with. So I highly recommend that. People are, a lot of times, don't, they're, they're, they're scared to do it, but it's easy to do when everybody's excited. Well, on that note, <laughs> Christopher Day, uh, co-founder and CEO of Demand Jump, thank you for your time today. This was a really interesting conversation for me. Thank you, Carol. Really enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to Authentically Successful. If you are a successful founder or CEO who would like to be on this program, please visit verticalelevation.com slash podcast slash apply. If you learned something from this interview and it made a difference, please share it on LinkedIn or Twitter. You can also do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend. And if you know of someone who would be a great guest, tag them on LinkedIn or Twitter to let them know about the show and include the hashtag authentically successful. I love seeing your posts and great suggestions. Lastly, we are regularly putting out new episodes and content. And to make sure you don't miss any episodes, please subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, go to our website, verticalelevation.com or follow me on LinkedIn. This is Carol Schultz. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.